think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. And it's as if that guy against the back wall or that gal are pulling the string of the parliamentary secretary. And, and, uh, and, and I am serious. And you know that's what, and the member knows that's what happens. It happens at my committee. And, uh, and, and members follow that direction, Mr. Speaker. They are members in their own right. They can stand on their own two feet. And so what I'm saying, Mr. Speaker, that process has to change. Hello, and welcome back to uh, The Boys in Short Pants, uh, episode one, the second episode. And uh, we're, we're recording this uh, January 13th, uh, Friday the 13th, of course, a very auspicious date for, for podcasting. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was that. So we were back after a, a brief absence of uh, the, the winter holidays. Of course, wisely recorded our, our episode zero right before leaving for a bunch of time. So uh, yeah, Tian, how was, uh, how was your vacation? I had a remarkably uneventful Christmas break, but not everyone did. No, yeah, that's true. I was uh, I was down in Costa Rica and managed to not run into Brian Pallister, though. Apparently, <laughs> he is, he's down there all the time. But yeah, as, as you alluded to, uh, some people had uh, has quite a good uh, Christmas holiday. Uh, I mean, I would be much more stoked on coming back to work if uh, I had spent it on Bell Island with the Aga Khan and get, getting flown around on a private helicopter. Yeah, there there is someone who had that exact holiday as it happens who was it was it, was, it uh, uh anyone anyone you might know it was actually uh, the prime minister of canada so uh that that'll uh, that'll open us up today is talking a little bit about uh the, a very trudeau christmas but wait laurent doesn't that seem problematic it does actually um there are there are some problems with this apart from the obvious political problems which is kind of like uh, can we just get this out of the way the, the obvious yep, political problem go for it if you come in on like you know we're gonna you know change change Ottawa and like new hope and change and whatever, don't go to like a billionaire's private island for Christmas. It looks bad. The number of times the B word is coming up. He's not in... a billionaire. I know his net worth is about eight hundred million dollars. Oh no, that's not even what I was gonna say. I was just gonna say the number of times the B word is coming up in headlines is bad. Associated with Trudeau is bad. Yeah. Like, it's coming up time and time again, and that doesn't really tie in well with the brand no. of the middle class and those seeking control. I, I kind of want to get a clip of uh, Bernie Sanders, billionaires in Arizona. <laughs> billionaires! This is a soundboard button. Anyway, yeah, so well, let's get that out of the way. Bad optics, bad politics, looks terrible, very easy to attack from both the NDP and the conservatives. I mean, for Christ's sake, like, you got the waste angle, and you've got the, like, hanging out on the billionaire's private island thing, which is like, if you can't attack that as the NDP, what can you attack? But I think that's been beaten to death a little bit. Exactly. Um, I feel like every columnist and their dog has written something about this at that point. It is a correct take, but a very easy take. So we're going to dive a little bit into the weeds here of uh, stuff that you may not know if you are not a, a Hill or Ottawa resident. Or uh, a designated public office holder. Or a de- yeah, and uh, Tian's past as a designated public office holder uh, gives him special insight here that uh, you'll only get on this podcast, really, because I haven't seen anybody else report this except very wrongly. Yeah, it seems like a couple of the articles I've seen have been trying to talk about the technical details of this and have done it horrendously. Yeah. Um, not an article per se, but I think the best evidence or the best case of this is uh, Warren Kinsella's blog entitled Guilty. Trudeau Guilty. Yeah. yeah. Very, very clever. In which he makes a defense of Trudeau and Trudeau's actions. But 
as a lawyer, he does it horribly. In is that he actually a lawyer? He is a lawyer. Oh, he's going to sue us. I mean, us. It, no. <laughs> <laughs> he sues everybody, man. As long as we're saying truthful things, it doesn't matter. Yeah. He, uh, he is a lawyer, and he's been touting that on uh, Twitter for his interpretation of the, uh, the act versus the code. Yeah, so let's back up a little bit here. Uh, if you're in parliament, you are not necessarily a member of the government. You are, you're an MP, and you are covered... By the conflict of interest code which for is, members of the House of Commons, which yeah. is part of the standing orders. Yeah, it's just basically the rules of the House. It's not like a law uh, that has been passed. If you are a what's called a designated public office holder, in which you're like a minister, a parliamentary secretary, a member of a minister's staff, the prime minister, things of that nature, where you exercise government power and not merely scrutinizing the government in the legislature, then you are covered by the conflict of interest act which covers the government correct and so this gets a little tricky because you have to separate the provisions of the act from the provisions of the code they are similar but not entirely the same so it's worth going a little into detail here and they both have prohibitions on members or designated public office holders travel so we're hoping to dig down into those for both Seamus O'Regan, who was reportedly on this helicopter as well, yeah. as well as Trudeau, but they both have, Trudeau has both sets of rules applying to him, whereas Seamus O'Regan only has one set of rules. Yeah. But in our reading of the act and the code, this causes problems for both of them. And it's sort of interesting because the problems awkwardly yeah. overlap. If one of them has a problem, it means the other one doesn't. And vice versa. So it's kind of, uh, it's interesting. So we'll, we'll get straight into that. Unless their vacations had dramatically different... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The content of their experiences was... One was, one was yeah. a business trip and one was a vacation where they were both on the beach in the Bahamas. Yeah. Not, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but so let's let's break down first of all um, Trudeau's situation. Let's actually, no, let's, no, we start, let's start with Seamus because we can okay. build up from there. Let's, let's go to Seamus then. So Seamus is starting with the code. And what the code says in regard to Sponsored travel. travel. Yeah, and just to clarify here, MPs are allowed to be to have sponsored travel to basically anything in excess of like $200 paid for by like basically any organization, foreign state, whatever. Um, that as long as it's declared that lets them travel somewhere on parliamentary business or in the interests of the, like their duties. Yeah. Um, and just declare it, and that's fine. So members go on trips all the time to, like, you know, like uh, Israel or India yeah, very, or wherever. Very common destination. Uh, which which is fine. Uh, but the trouble with that is that it does not allow you to have a vacation paid by a foreign entity or yeah. a stakeholder group or anything along these lines. So the particular line in the code. Uh, in the standing orders and the code that we're looking at here is uh, section 4-1, or sorry, 14-1, which states neither a member or any member of a, of a member's family, uh, capital versus lowercase, shall accept directly or indirectly any gift or other benefit except compensation authorized by law that might reasonably be seen to have been given to influence the member in the exercise of a duty or function of his office. Yeah. So it's, this is the provision, the general provision against, you know, accepting gifts and bribes and literally anything that might yeah. influence your office. Not good. You don't want to do that. And then as you alluded to, there's a carve-out to this, which is the sponsored travel carve-out, which is uh, 15, which says, despite subsection 14, a member may accept 
for the member and guests of the member, sponsored which travel, family. which very well could be his family, that arises or relates to his or her position. Yeah. So, like, if you want to go learn about, like, if you're on the, I don't know, the Foreign Affairs Committee or something, and you want to go learn about, like, whatever, conflict, then, yeah, or or even, and honestly, like, it, it's not worth sugarcoating this too much. A lot of people do basically, like, take a business trip as part of their duties and, you know, go to a couple of meetings somewhere on somebody else's dime and then sort of treat the rest of the trip as a vacation, uh, which is common, but the real problem here is that there is no cover. It's done very nakedly in Seamus O'Regan's case. If that is, in fact, the case. <laughs> Let's not go too far ahead of ourselves. But Yeah, so it seems like if Seamus O'Regan was doing this for business, he is covered and he has up to 60 days to report this as effectively a business trip, as sponsored travel. Yeah. But if it's not sponsored travel, then he's in violation of Section 14 of the Act. Yeah. Which is also very awkward. Um, yes, and that kind of brings us to the second horn of the dilemma here, because Justin Trudeau and the PMO have been claiming that this was a vacation the whole time, and that no business occurred, which is frankly probably good, because the Aga Khan Foundation does a lot of business with the federal government. Uh, so if Justin Trudeau claims this as a vacation, it means that Seamus O'Regan is in violation of the act, or the code, I'm sorry. Um, but if Seamus O'Regan claims this as a business trip, then Justin Trudeau is in violation of the act, which covers ministers and has more serious penalties. And of course, more serious political liabilities as well. But if Seamus O'Regan is on a business trip and Justin Trudeau is on a vacation... Yeah, they can't both be true. They... Well, Trudeau's still not okay because he used the helicopter, but they're closer to being okay than yeah. if uh, were otherwise I mean, the case. for the liberals, if they've got to throw someone under the bus here, it's going to be Seamus O'Regan <laughs> before Justin Trudeau, to be perfectly clear. Um, but I've, it is interesting to note that they've put themselves in an interesting quandary between the, the act covering ministers and the code covering members. All right, so let's cover the act. We've done the code. Let's talk about the act real quick and what the act says about travel because this has been pretty widely debated and it's something that Kinsella sort of mixes up. He mixes up the act and the code and sort of cherry picks the provisions as they apply. Yeah. And what the uh, act says is that no minister of the crown, minister of state or parliamentary secretary, no member of his or her family, and no ministerial advisor or ministerial staff shall accept travel or non-commercial chartered or private aircraft for any purpose unless required in his or her capacity as a public office holder, or in exceptional circumstances, or with the prior approval of the commissioner. Yeah, and the prior approval of the commissioner here would have been the thing to seek. I, I do love that Kinsella points out in his piece that, like, the exceptional circumstances, that it's an island. But it's like, <laughs> that probably could have been foreseen when he was invited to the Aga Khan's private island. I and mean, days of planning went into it, and yeah. all sorts of foresight. Like, I'm sorry, that's not an exceptional circumstance. In exceptional circumstances, you have to get flown out of an active volcano or something. Yeah, much more life or death situation. Yeah, give uh, me a fucking break, man. <laughs> Howard Anglin comments on this in David Aiken's piece, and says, and he used to work for uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper in a fairly senior capacity as a lawyer, and he said, effectively in his mind, there's no way that this isn't a clear violation. It's pretty black and white to me, yeah. So, what does that mean for Justin Trudeau? What, what are the consequences of violating this section specifically of the Act? Because what some people seem to be mixing up is uh, a $500 fine, which is Section 52 of the Act, but that doesn't cover the travel part, which is subsection 15. So, 
The $500 fine is the administrative monetary penalty, but it only cover what it covers is largely things related to investments and to non-compliance, but it doesn't cover this specific provision related to travel. What uh, in our analysis of the act, the possible consequences are sort of twofold. There can be a compliance order and what's called a notice of violation. Yeah, and they're basically both like don't do this again or like you have done this to basically put it in layman's terms like they're not it, they're slaps on the wrist like that's not a very serious penalty but it i mean once again politically it is not good to have the prime minister censured for conflict of interests yeah they both breaches. they both equate to be roughly the same thing um the compliance orders are on the web like eve adams has a compliance order against her i think there's been about eight or nine of these in the yeah. past almost decade so about averaging about one year compliance order and most of them seem to be for mps who have written letters inappropriately using their title or their influence sure so one of the examples on there is a letter written uh, from a member of parliament trying to influence regarding a radio station the crtc members of parliament aren't allowed to lobby uh, in, in certain in circumstances, institutions, federal yeah. institutions. Yeah. It's a bad look for everyone. And what the report or the compliance order states is basically, in almost all of these cases, don't do that again. Yeah. Though it's funny that it's the writing letters because, as we both know, MPs lobby federal institutions all the time for constituent services to get like faster services like immigration, citizenship, and that kind of thing. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of it's a distinct. There's a distinction in law without a difference. I yeah, think. exactly. It's kind of accepted that that's just a political role that they have to do. So no one really talks about it. But yeah. Yeah, as opposed to sort of a formal policy letter. Yeah. It's regulatory changes and policy changes yeah. rather than like greasing the wheels and but, advocating yeah. on behalf of your constituents. Yeah, which is seen however, as noble. However, yeah. you choose to see it in this case um so i mean this proves to be so like what will be the outcome politically here i think mary dawson will write her report i think she'll go ahead she will issue possibly both a compliance order and a notice of violation and it'll make another round of headlines and it'll look bad yeah. Um, for anyone thinking, like, in the lock him up mentality, <laughs> if if that exists in Canada, as, yeah. as we know it does in some corners, um, like, a lot of people are trying to make this, like, a criminal code violation or, like, talk about it as if it's breaking the law. Yeah. And well, it is technically breaking the law, but so is, like, jaywalking. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, it's different. It's, yeah. not, it's not a criminal offense, per se. So it's not going to come with, you know, jail time or losing his MP or much yeah. more of an investigation. It's going to be a letter written to him that says, "Yeah, next time you want to use a helicopter, let me know. Give me, give me a heads up. You yeah. got, you got my digits." Yeah. That said, though, I mean, coming back to the political side a little bit because uh, we we are a political podcast. It, I mean, for Christ's sake, like if the NDP can't nail him on this, I just like come on. I mean, the NDP, but I would say the Conservatives have more been leading the charge on this. Which is a little disappointing, frankly. But, I mean, they do have more, like, airtime and, like, resources, so that's a little understandable. But, like, come on. If there's one thing that, like, the NDP should be able to nail people for, it's, like, taking helicopter trips with billionaires. Right? Like, yeah, so 800 millionaires. The Conservatives sort of take it as, like, liberals and money are always a bad mix. Yeah. And this narrative has been built over the past months with uh, Cash for Access and all this, and this is yeah, really it's been an a really bad, yeah of Cash for Access. Awful couple of months for uh, for the sort of ethical credentials of, of the government, because, yeah, it's been really quite bad with a lot of the, the fundraising stuff. Actually, speaking of, 
Uh, there was a third couple with uh, Seamus O'Regan and Justin Trudeau. And that would be Anna Ganey, a Liberal Party president, yes. which is like, okay, fine. But okay. also Tom Pitfield, who is uh, a former Justin Trudeau. Uh, well, he worked on the Liberal campaign and was yeah. a, worked Director on the Trudeau's digital campaign. communications. But and... importantly, now runs the nonpartisan think tank Canada 2020. Our good friends who produce a fantastic podcast called Brief Remarks that you should definitely listen to. Um, but yeah, that's a little awkward because, I don't know, I, it, it's not like super surprising because everyone knows that these things are very close in Ottawa. But it is a bad look when you have this world of like ostensibly nonpartisan like policy think tanks sort of coming together with elected politicians in that way and it, it, i mean it's not unexpected but i think it's an unfortunate direction for canadian politics to head in because i i personally don't think it's like a great look yeah i mean keeping the distance there sort of from an ethical perspective and all that is definitely uh, agreeable yeah i don't think there has been much made of that in the media. I've always seen Pitfield's name mentioned sort right. of in passing. Yeah, and very rarely have I seen it mentioned with the title well, of the organization. And also keep in mind, right, like Canada 2020 gets like big sponsorships from a lot of companies. And they have lots it, of events with gets, liberal MPs and ministers. It gets ministers. sponsorship from the government. Yeah. And as the government most well. think tanks so, do. So, you know, I think if you're if you're a journalist listening to this podcast, all, all one of you or two, anyway, um, it, it's... Maybe look into that. That might be interesting. I don't know. I feel like some people have been looking into it. There have been multiple stories. There's one uh, a couple of months ago about Canada 2020 uh, leasing office space yeah, to with the Liberal yeah. Party during the election. Which strikes me as like fundamentally like kosher, if a little weird looking. But Yeah, I mean, there was nothing found uh, really to be amiss. Yeah. It's just the convenience factor of it, yeah. I, I imagine. So as long as they paid fair market value yeah, and all exactly. the rest of it, there, there's, there's not any ethical problem. It's just if you're trying to drive a wedge between these and separate the institution from the party, yeah, this isn't the way to go about no, it. No, exactly, uh, and especially because the sums of money involved are, are not trivial, frankly. But that, so let me let me play devil's advocate for a minute here, and say from the liberal perspective, like Tom Pitfield is obviously very good friends with Justin Trudeau. And so they vacation together. Yeah. So what? As long as he paid his own way, which by all accounts he did, uh, him and his wife, then what's the problem that friends are on vacation together? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, and here, here's, uh, here's my socialist hat on. I think it's always worrying when you have, like, every member of a powerful political, political class is, like, close friends with each other and goes on trips with each other. This is the same thing that happened with... Uh, Oh, I don't want to get the name wrong, but it was um, Peter Mansbridge officiated the wedding of one of, uh, or it was contested whether he officiated or was simply present at uh, one of Justin Trudeau's staffers' uh, weddings in Italy. Um, I think it was Kate Purchase. The yes, it was, I it do was not Kate want Purchase. to get that wrong. So if we are wrong, we'll, we'll fix that. No, it definitely uh, was. Okay, uh, but like, and people were like, "Oh, well, what's the problem? He's a family friend." And like, okay, but is it weird that like? The broad, like the guy who anchors the national news on Canada's public broadcaster, is close friends with the communications director of the prime minister. I think that's a little weird, Frank. I mean, like, there's nothing you can really do about it except like be conscious of it and like maybe vote for politicians that aren't all friends with each other. Uh, but I think it's like a worrying thing where you have a concentration of like wealth, power, influence, access that is that is just like not super healthy. I mean, it's the nature of the Ottawa bubble is that Ottawa is a pretty small town. Oh, absolutely. So, like, I'm not contesting that it's like unusual. I'm just saying it is bad that it is usual. Yeah, that's really 
Like, it, I mean, it's hard to argue that uh, the, the pushback on this is people should be allowed to associate with whoever what they want. But, yeah. like, obviously in your ideal society... Are there, you know, greater degrees of separation? Yeah, between especially between the like media and government, media, and... think tanks, government, like that kind of stuff. Like, I think if you're professional, you should try to keep like maybe just exercise your judgment and say like, while you hold this role, I don't want to give the appearance of impropriety, even though like I doubt that it's inappropriate in the sense like I don't think they're like scheming out there, but it's just like you want to make things that you want to do things that look good, right? And like I think it's poor judgment and like it's kind of insulting to voters was this a case of the chicken or the egg though was did the wedding occur before she was ever in this capacity i think at the time she was working for trudeau but he was liberal party leader at the time rather than uh than prime minister it was was yeah he was was liberal party leader yeah okay i mean something to think about for sure yeah i think it's just like the sort of like elite bubble is just not super great actually um Speaking speaking of elite bubbles, uh, no, actually, we'll, we'll get to that in due time, uh, the conservative leadership race. But actually, today we want to talk about another recent thing, uh, which was the uh, the cabinet shuffle. Uh, it's been a week full of cabinets as uh, Trump's cabinet's get, going through confirmation hearings with greater or lesser success. And uh, Trudeau retooled his cabinet for the Trump era. Mildly. Small retooling. Yeah, and to, to lead off, I do want to discuss that narrative a little bit. Uh, the the retool for the Trump era thing. Do you like? I'll ask you honestly here. Do you think if Hillary Clinton wins in November, the cabinet shuffle looks substantially different in any way? I mean, the only argument to be made, of in terms of retooling for the Trump era. I mean, that was the government line, right? That was like very uncritically picked up by like pretty much every newspaper and media outlet. Yeah, what was that the government line or was that media's line? Yeah, it was kind of like they were saying, like, this is sort of how they branded the cabinet shuffle. I think it was the media spin on it, though, more so than the government line. But, like, obviously the only, like, clear overlap here, and there's there's sort of some irony, the only clear overlap here is uh, Christine Freeland. Yeah. Like... Who, by the way, we called it. Yes, you did. Yeah. I actually thought she was going to stay. I ah. thought she was going to stay. I thought someone maybe like Garneau was going to go over, um, but that was very much not the case. No, I guess he didn't want to replace the old white guy from Montreal. <laughs> the old white guy from Montreal, go figure. Um, so, like, the only overlap, like, Champagne and Hussein. Yeah. Like, there's there's a small overlap with Hussein. Yeah. Um, Mary Mazev obviously doesn't impact Trump. Um, Freeland's the only impact yeah. with the Americans. And is she a great fit? To contrast against uh, Tillerson, maybe there's a lot made of uh, yeah. Christia Freeland's background. Yeah, and she worked for the Economist, and she was a business journalist, and she did all sorts of work yeah. in the United States and Moscow. And so, by all accounts, she seems to be a good fit for the role of uh, yeah. foreign affairs. But she, I think she'd be good in that role regardless of whether Trump wins or not. Right? Like, I think the writing was kind of on the wall for Stephen Dion. Um, you know, in the sense that, yeah, he probably would have performed, like, very poorly in maintaining relations with the Americans because he's not super good at not putting his foot in his mouth and uh, says what he means. And, like, you know, full credit to him. That's what I admire about Stéphane Dion, the person, is that he he's quite forthright. Uh, and that role was not natural for him in the sense that he often had to take the diplomatic line or the political line. And he, like, it's just not something that he's ever been very good at. And I think that speaks well of him as a person. <laughs> um but yeah, no, I, th- I think Freeland was like a natural promotion, whether, you know, regardless of who won the American election. Uh, so good for her and good for me that I predicted it. Um, 
Uh, Mary Monta for our other prediction, who is like, I mean, to be fair though, everyone. literally everyone in Ottawa, you could have picked anybody on the street in Ottawa and asked them, is Mary Monta out at the next cabinet shuffle? They would have said yes. Yeah, she was by far the most obvious one to go. Yeah. Um, the question that's been floating a lot around yeah, to Mary be clear, Monta. She's not out of cabinet. She's now at status of women. Correct. Yeah. So was this a promotion or a demotion? I think, honestly, that's kind of like an asinine question. It is, because if you are presumably promoted, so throwing aside the fact that uh, whether you want to debate sort of status of women and how high or low it is on the list and priorities of portfolios yeah. and all the rest of it, I, I think in my mind, it's a, it's, a junior, it's a junior ministry to another junior ministry. Yeah, Not to knock either of them, but like that's just like in terms of the resources they have available to them and the sort of... I mean, and it's not to say status of women isn't doing important stuff, right? Like they are. They're collaborating quite extensively on the Missing and Murdered Aboriginal Women uh, inquiry, which is like really a big deal. But I think it's a bit of a, like, sorry we put you in a no-win situation. Here's a portfolio where you can build some profile and build back up some credibility. Because we still think that you are essentially talented, but it was not a good fit for you. Yeah, that's where I, I don't think the line promotion or demotion is really It's accurate. a side grade. I think... Yeah. They put her where ev- she can be used better. Everyone wants to think that it's a demotion because they look at her performance previously yeah. and say, like... If there is justice in this world, this <laughs> this lady will be demoted. Um, but it, I don't think it is that. I think it's saying like, listen, you you've taken one for a team here. Yeah, exactly. Let's exactly. let's get you out of there. They and put her in. Let's try again. It's it's more like a reset. That, yeah, than exactly. Anything. They put her into a role where I think she's better suited for, and they're not throwing her under a bus this time, right? Like I think that's really like. They did not know. I don't think they had a plan going in how they were going to deal with the electoral reform thing. And I think, honestly, the opposition outsmarted them at a couple points, like getting uh, the majority on the committee and stuff like yeah. that, where I think they was not moves the Liberal government was expecting, and they were not super well-equipped to adapt to that quickly. So I think, yeah, they, they've basically given Mary Monsef a second lease on life in cabinet. However, my theory with Mary Monsef is uh, she doesn't do much longer in elected politics, maybe another term or two. Uh, I am willing to bet money that Maria Monsef will be our governor general within like 35 <laughs> years. Like I, I, I can just see her career now, right? Like, so she does a couple more terms in parliament in junior ministries, like status of women, probably remember just like a pretty competent status of women, um, minister, leave politics, serve on the boards of like major charities in Toronto, have a nice like front house, sort of like be called for like royal royal commissions and stuff like that to like sort of be a you know smart you know sternly look and question witnesses and stuff and sort of just basically like continue drifting upwards until like someone will be like oh she will be our first the refugee governor general in like 25 years if like we still have the earth see i don't think that's necessarily just a trait of mary montef i think if- oh it's a whole universe of like liberal like cultural drift upwards if you have like the right kind yeah, of like, I mean, credentials. If you're and... a former cabinet minister who leaves yeah. on good terms, yeah, you, then I think like you have the right shoulders. An it's... appointment to the marijuana task force or yeah. this task force or that royal commission or any of the yeah. various appointments available to governments across Canada at any given time. Like the stats coming out of the number of appointments in Ontario, political appointments in Ontario. Yeah. It's just absolutely bonkers uh, like 
you're pretty well set. Yeah. Particularly if you have a reasonably high profile, which is something that, for better or for worse, she has. Yeah. She has established. I could also time. see her going to the Senate. Not like soon, but like in sort of the same time frame as the governor general. Who knows? I, I just I think that think she's old enough to go to the Senate right now. Not right now. No, I don't think Maybe so. Thirty-five, is it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Thirty-five. Yeah. We have another minister who taken over that spot, though. Kareen Gold. Yeah, good luck to her. I've uh, well, I mean, I say good luck to her. She's anti-PR, so you know, bad luck to her. Uh, I do want personal reputation of some kind. Uh, I'm kind of agnostic between STV and MMP, but like. Uh, so, yeah, I hope she crashes and burns. So, <laughs> very, very nice wishes to set her, well, set her off know. on uh, the adventure with. Congratulations um, to her for, for getting her job. I hope she fails at it. I've personally never been familiar with her work. Uh, um, I've heard from people that she, she's fairly well-respected. Uh, yes. Like, that, has that's, a lot of drive, like, uh, but... Yeah, that, it's a you know, bit of a bit of a upward swing for her, so good for her. That is, uh, that is something I've heard. I... Have an inkling of feeling bad for whoever takes over that portfolio. It's like, a, it does, you're getting handed a flaming bag of dog shit. It does seem like the poison chalice yeah. or the dead end, or yeah. like it's going to be tough to fight your way through this. Like yeah. just coming into it last minute, the files already been terribly mismanaged. Well, and you have like, no relationship with any of the committee, and like, which is now dissolved. I guess that doesn't matter. Your uh, job is to bury the body. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a grave digger. It's yeah, literally it's to bury the body, uh, bury the body, and be done with it. Yep. Yeah. So that's unfortunate for those of us who wanted electoral reform, but, I mean, we told you so. All right, who else is on this lineup? Um, Minister, I forgot her first name, Mihaichuk. Marianne. Marianne? Marianne Mihaichuk? That sounds right to me. Yeah, anyway, she was a labor employment minister. She is now out of cabinet altogether. Yeah, why? Uh, apparently, not a good team player. Not a good team and player. And not super competent, or like... Was not well regarded, rather. Yeah, I'll have to admit, I uh, I didn't see this one coming. I, I did not either. I like there were small inklings about this, but I never would have imagined it was in one of the yeah. top moves of the government. Because the, the files, to make. the files have been kind of progressing. They've got the um, uh, flexible work arrangements, um, or the right to request flexible work arrangements thing, kind of humming along. Uh, some other things that are sort of like kind of big ticket like funding for training that kind of stuff it's kind of it's coming along there's some some shortcomings but like what portfolio hasn't had shortcomings but yeah, I, I mean it's just honestly to me like given the fact that the portfolios are kind of moving it seems like a personality thing it would not have made my top 10 lists of problem portfolios she was a right gary now. dewar cabinet minister eh? oh yeah in manitoba yeah mm-hmm. for for people who aren't familiar with gary dewar he was a uh, manitoba's ndp premier from uh 99 to like 2010 Something like that. That sort of time frame. Um, so interesting. I wonder if that had anything to do with that. That she like wasn't welcome. Or I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about that. Particular yeah. Situation. What the what set of the cabinet table stays around the cabinet table? I guess. As it does. And it's my suspicion that this is entirely based on sort of the dynamic of yeah uh, the dynamic of the cabinet. But Trudeau has also pushed out a couple a couple of the old guard yeah, yeah we, we alluded to this earlier but yes defendion is, is out former liberal party leader former general liberal heavyweight from the the mid-90s onwards when he was recruited by jean Chrétien to sort of uh head up the or at least participate heavily in the the anti-referendum stuff yeah the clarity act was drafted under his watch not uh, a huge fan personally but Big, big Federalist helped yeah. keep the country together during uh, during tough times. For listeners, you can't see it, but I, I rolled my eyes quite <laughs> quite heavily there. Um, yeah, no, and, like, I have mixed feelings about Stefan Dion. I, I sort of alluded to this earlier, but, like, I have respect for his intellect. I have respect for his basic integrity. I think that, you know, honestly, he, he enjoyed the trappings of government because he 
he's a guy who, who enjoys the respect and enjoys the, the intellectual challenge of government files. He was never a good politician, um, which, you know, says, I, th- I think says a good thing about his character to some degree. Um, yeah, I, I, have, I have very mixed feelings about the guy. I think, like I said in our episode zero, his handling of the Saudi arms stuff was like, in my opinion, the worst thing that the government had all year. But it does sound like, once again, he was kind of set up to fail on that kind of stuff. So, well, good luck to Stefanio. Best of luck in whatever comes next, your way next, which is a bit awkward, because uh, it seems like it was floating around that the government was going to offer him the ambassadorship to EU and Germany. Yeah, and, which I was, uh, I was never sure. I was never clear on how you could be the ambassador to both those places. It seems they're both big places. Um, and they're not in the same place. Indeed. Well, I mean, Strasbourg is not far from Germany. That said, Berlin and Strasbourg are quite far. But is it Strasbourg or is Stra- it Brussels? Ooh, good point. Because Strasbourg is a parliament. Anyway, yeah. there'd be a hell of a commute. <laughs> um, and Stéphane Dion responded with a letter, a sort of farewell letter that was like the most Stéphane Dion thing of all time. I don't know if you read it. it, it you should there. read it because it is just incredibly him and like, well, Godspeed to you, you too smart for your own good bastard. It's a uh, good luck. Uh, the other guy who's out is John McCallum. John McCallum, uh, Citizenship and Immigration. Yeah, former former member of multiple liberal cabinets going yeah. back over the years. Sort of a stalwart. Um, very much uh, shepherded, used uh, heavily to shepherd through the refugee file. Which uh, I said was one of the best things they did. The 25,000 refugees by Christmas or slightly after Christmas. Because yeah, Santa the timeline came, and numbers sort of slipped. Santa, and got Santa came late, yeah. but mostly everyone was saying, this is too fast anyway, we don't yeah. need to meet an arbitrary deadline. Um, but let's not relitigate that. Um, so McCallum, I mean, he's going to China, um, which I think, I mean, best of luck to him there. That's going to be a, it's, it's a big job. Uh, Ambassador to China is a very big job, especially in a you know now quite uncertain world. And the Trudeau government is doing a big pivot to China. A yeah. lot of Chinese billionaires coming here. <laughs> a lot of Chinese billionaires. I'm sure he's going to be sending out invites for all those dinners. And getting invited to lots of lots of good dinners. Yeah, yeah. he uh, is the Chinese billionaire wrangler now. Yeah. Well, good luck to him. Uh, no, but that is a big job, and he's done a fairly creditable job as a minister of citizenship and immigration. So yeah, it's just surprised to see him go. So I mean. To see him pushed out so quickly, yeah. Like, uh, presuming he was pushed out, maybe, maybe he wanted to go to China. I think it was sort of intimated though when this cabinet was formed that like some of the older people, like Dion and McCallum and like Garneau, were sort of in there to kind of like hold down the fort while the government got its foot, while they looked for like up and comers to kind of take, you know, move through the cabinet ranks. I think that's fair. Um, that was my impression. I remember reading and- something to that effect. I guess it makes more. I guess it makes a lot of sense to move your old guard out yeah. and sort of out of cabinet, out of parliament, yeah. and on to greener or greenish pastures. Yeah. Uh, and so you've had a year to figure out who your rookie MPs are. I mean, was Ahmad Hassan, who's now moving into that role, was he a parliamentary secretary beforehand? To be honest, I am not sure. I don't believe he was. I do not think so either. Uh, uh, which uh, is interesting. Big promotion, actually, we should mention, is um, François-Philippe Champagne. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Let's do Ahmad Hassan. Okay, let's do Ahmad Hassan. So Ahmad Hassan, I don't believe, was a parliamentary secretary. So he's made the jump. Usually parliamentary secretaries are seen as... Yeah, the sort of stepping stone to cabinet. Cabinet ministers waiting. Yeah. He skirted this entirely. Good for him. I mean, very good for him. Uh, everything I've heard and about him seems to say he is a incredibly capable person. 
But at the same time, you don't know how capable a cabinet minister is going to be until they have their yeah. portfolio. No kidding. Uh, do you want to do champagne now? Let's do champagne. Okay, let's pop the champagne, as they say. <laughs> um, that was a promotion that while... He was uh, Christopher Freeland's parliamentary secretary for an no. no? He No, that was uh, someone else. The, he was uh, Morneau's. Yes, you're correct. Morneau's yeah. parliamentary yeah, yeah, yeah. secretary. My bad. Yeah, he was Bill Morneau's parliamentary secretary in finance. It's a big job. Very big, very job. big job. Very technical. Yeah. And apparently he handled it very, very well. I heard very positive buzz from Quebec liberals, um, who obviously know him a bit better. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's a big jump. I mean, from parliamentary secretary to international trade, that's a very big portfolio. And Christopher Freeland was considered one of the star ministers of the you know the initial cabinet yep. in international trade. It's a very big promotion. Yeah. It's a reasonable one. Um Wishing him the best of luck with it. The international trade file is... Uh, That's going to be a real tough one, too. Is very tricky. Renegotiating NAFTA, potentially. Yeah, is obviously the elephant in the room yeah, coming geez. up. Um, the hardest work on CETA has been done, but that the envelope hasn't been sealed there yet yeah, either. Yeah, some, some things to nail down. Um, my one issue with him is he reminds me too much of... Uh, who's Bruce Wayne's butler? Alfred? He reminds me of Alfred. Alfred. He well, looks- I, if, if you want to ask, like, if, I, if we're talking about problems with him, I, he strikes me as very old school liberal. Yes, Master Wayne. <laughs> Except French, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see what, what comes of that. That's, a, But broadly, the guy seems pretty bright. So, But then again, being bright can get into get you into a lot of trouble, um, especially if you're, you're too bright for your own go to some people were in foreign-facing roles. Anything else to say about the cabinet shuffle? Um, did we cover up wrong? I think so. I think we did. Or all, all the nope. stuff. No. Nope. missed one. Who did we miss? Status Women. Oh, Patty Haidu. Patty Haidu. Where'd she go? Uh, she took over employment. Okay. I'm sure she did pretty well there. Yeah, she was uh, pretty well-respected and pretty well-liked in yep. uh, Status of Women. But that being said, Status of Women isn't a high-profile portfolio. Um, well, not, not that it's not high-profile, it's not important, but in terms of its function within government, yeah. is... The portfolios, generally, with one exception, it's just a question are, of resources. Right? That are We're not easier like to moral, run. Yeah, yeah. Are ones that give out funding. Yeah. We're not talking about moral worth when we say promotion or demotion. It's just like basically sheer dynamics of how much money they have, how many resources they have, etc. Yeah. If they have a department, that kind of thing. As well as like the files going forward, right? Yeah. So if sat or if uh, there's a big file in uh, democratic reform that's why it's seen as a little higher because it's higher in the government's priorities and higher visibility and all these things not saying democratic reform is a value we're not making a value judgment on whether or not it's above or below size of women and the importance of women in yeah. Canadian society which is obviously very very great yeah it's 50% of the population actually in fact yeah. it is yeah. um, so with that I think we've covered the entire cabinet entire cabinet good um so, yeah, best of luck to the new guys, um, except for Democratic Reform will crush you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Just going to bury the body. Yeah. Any any new news items uh, from, the, from the break? I had, I had one uh, editorial I really hated. Uh, <laughs> you have to get about. this in here. I'm sorry. Show. I hated it so much. Uh, Colby Kosh uh, noted National Post columnist, kind of libertarian-leaning from Alberta, I think, or lives there. Um, wrote a piece about how... Uh, Basically, Republicans are really dumb people. That is, people who um, don't want the monarchy to continue existing. I, I run into this a lot um, when people talk about republicanism, but they sort of assume that republicanism is like we're like jealous 
of America and we want a president because we just like presidents or like I don't or like that it's somehow makes us like a grown-up country and like I don't honestly like care that much I find monarchists can be really pedantic about like oh she's the queen of Canada it's like okay yeah she's like been here for like a month in her life maybe like she's like a thousand hey, years she, old she has a good a hundred years left to go yeah. she'll, she'll max mecca, that out mecca queen uh but it's like frankly for me it's not so much a question of like is it like a dated institution or do i just love having american presidents and a lot of times there's a conflation of like do you want literally the exact same political system as america which like obviously not who does not even america wants the same political system as itself because when it sets up governments in other countries it follows parliamentary models almost all the time uh like if you look at the reconstruction of iraq for instance um but like in my case it's literally just a moral argument that i think it's bad that people hold political office by virtue of their birth and i think it's offensive to the notion of equal citizenship and moral equality of all people that i think like it's just something like i've never heard a credible rebuttal to that except for like well it's our history which like well so are a lot of things that we don't like and we got rid of those so i don't find that consistent at any rate so not a big fan of that i feel like you've been dying for weeks to rant about i really really have i'm sorry yeah like uh Queen elizabeth nice lady and everything and like if william ever becomes king it'll make my degree worth a lot more uh but yeah also actually to pivot very quickly on that i do love people who are like well, I really like Elizabeth, but I don't like Charles, so William should become king. And it's like, guys, if you wanted a system where you democratically get to choose your head of state, it's not monarchy. I mean, that's what peer pressure's for. You just you just slowly pressure him out. I actually, Charles, leave. I have no strong opinions on the monarchy. Yeah, no, I, I recognize that I'm weird for do- having... I mean, uh, I have some friends who are in, like, monarchist Facebook groups. That's super weird. I, that's way weirder than me. <laughs> He's not going to listen to our podcast after he hears you no. say that. Um, but, I mean, it's just not something I can be bothered to be fussed no, yeah, about and, like, it and it's learn much about. It's huge, like, I recognize that it would be very disruptive to, like, get rid of the monarchy but i think it kind of reflects the pathology of canadian media that like anything that is challenging is undiscussable it's unimaginable can't do it like oh my god require open the constitution do not remember like charlottetown like i was born in 1992 i do not remember charlottetown like it's a country of adults i'm sure we can have this conversation without like you know flipping our lids and tripping over our dicks about it every single goddamn time so i don't know maybe canadian media grow up a little it's not, you know, baby boomer columnists aren't literally the entire country, regardless of what uh, Margaret Wente would like. Um, so, okay, that's that's my rant on, on monarchy. You were about to channel your inner Jesse Brown now with your, <laughs> uh, with your Wente, Margaret Wente hating. Um, I have a column I'd like to raise very briefly because the column is brief, so only so, oh, much, yeah, okay. only so much can be said about it. This but is good. The column's entitled Lisa Raitt or Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, speaking that, of lazy baby boomer columnists. That's easy. I mean, he might be pre, he might predate the baby boomers. Yeah, uh, this guy actually does look like the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> that's easy. Salutin. Um, Rick Salutin, columnist at the Toronto Star, 
wrote a lengthy 213-word treatise. <laughs> I estimated 300 to kind that of be generous. That was generous. Holy crap. Okay. I feel like it might have been uh, typed one hand on the wheel, one hand on the phone, like <laughs> on his commute into work that day. Jesus Christ. And to read to you... the whole video and everything. Jesus. Yeah. The video came after the fact, though. But to read, like, what I think equates to about a quarter of the article... Which sort of creates this false dichotomy between if you're conservative, you have to choose between two out of the 13 or 14 candidates that it's only Lisa Raitt or Kevin O'Leary for some reason, which makes yeah. no sense. Um, she has the statement, or he has the statement rather. Personally, I'd lean to former Harper cabinet minister Lisa Raitt for one reason. She got Green Party leader Elizabeth May off the stage at an Ottawa press club dinner. Which is very funny, by the way. May, yeah. May was delivering a very hammered, very sometimes hammered. insightful speech. She was adrift. The person who rescued her wasn't anyone NDP or liberal, because they weren't on stage with her. But right. She went up out of sheer fellow feeling, stood she there patiently. already on the stage out of sheer fellow feeling. <laughs> lovingly and gradually moved May along. As if, you know, a like two-minute act of compassion out of convenience and to limit embarrassment to someone you've been working with for a good number of years. Which is, is nice. It's very decent. Like, it was cool of her to do that. Absolutely. But for a column to be premised on, and this is why she should be leader of Canada. Yeah, I can just imagine the, like, okay, this is going to be a really deep cut. I can just imagine the, like, 1950s editorial, like, I want Richard Nixon to lead this country. Because he has a dog that is cute. <laughs> I mean, have you seen Nixon with his dog? It's my little dog, Checkers. <laughs> he is so kind and so tender to that dog. Yeah. A, a man with that dog, with a dog that he takes care of like that, could never run a country poorly. He has, like, deep compassion. Yeah. Like, That's I'm, not to suggest that Lisa Raitt is Richard Nixon. No, or, not, like, not in the slightest. The country, I, I'm not even saying that. It, it's to pick just, on like, the argument that's being made. Yeah, it's just so stupid. The argument of... Oh, this person's, you know, leadership and policy and all that should be set aside. I'm going to build this false psychology between two candidates. And because, you know what? She picked the cutest puppy dog in the litter. I, That's I do why. Salyton actually says the bar has been lowered in his, in his article, which is true about both A, <clears throat> the opinion standards of the Toronto Star, and B, the fact that it takes a basic act of human decency uh, to earn an endorsement from a columnist there. I feel a leader with that level of compassion, no matter what her policies are, would, wouldn't would do anything catastrophic to the country. Like, we live in an age of lowered bars. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a hell of a take. That's a hell of a take. And it only took him 213 words to say it. I, you gotta admire the concision. We have spent more time discussing it by, like, orders of magnitude than the column took to write, I imagine. That is almost certainly true. Uh, I think that that wraps up our, our business, our agenda for the day. Yeah, I think we've uh, covered most of the points we wanted to. Hopefully we didn't lose you on the act versus the code. Hey, it's good information, and you'll be the only one of your friends to yes. know the intricacies of the act versus the code. If you ever become a designated public office holder, you'll be uh, well aware of Keep when, your to, boss out when of to reject that helicopter offer. Yeah. And with that, uh, we'll, we'll wish you a, a good day, and uh, we'll, we'll get back with you guys next week. 
And to oh, leave yeah. it on one last note, let's let's do a little teaser for uh, next week. That's right. We'll be interviewing uh, Professor Jennifer Robson at Carleton uh, about uh, social policy, tax expenditures, and uh, universality versus means testing. It'll be interesting. Incredibly sexy topic that tax expenditures are. Yeah. But uh, I think they'll actually be very interesting, and hopefully we'll make that approachable. And uh, with that, there's only thing one thing left to say. Let's plug ourselves let's like plug ourselves, uh, every yeah. good podcaster would. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're on iTunes now. I mean, uh, I imagine they found us. If they're, uh... <laughs> That's true. But we, we are on iTunes now, so if you can give us a review and a preferably five-star one, that'd be great. And a, a rating. Yeah, leave all a that comment. Stuff. Uh, tell, tell your friends about us. Follow us on Twitter. We're at ShortPantsPod. Etienne, uh, you're at AB Etienne, I think. That's correct. And I'm at Laurent Carr. Uh, with that, we will wish you a good night for real this time, and uh, the best to you. Absolutely. Please understand that I do have 22 letters at the end of my name. I'm not an idiot. I have thought through all of the details with respect to what we should do in order to make sure people feel whole at the end of the process. But the long and short of it, the first step, you have to eliminate the